KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. So, a lot of people have a lot of student loan debt in this country, and it is really making economic life difficult for a lot of people. It is a problem that has really needed to be addressed for quite some time, but now it feels like momentum is truly building at the federal level where we could see some sort of action taken to alleviate at least some student loan debt. So, what would that look like? How would it work? What effect could it have on the economy overall? To talk about this, we caught up with Tundi Otosami. He is an associate professor of finance at Widener University. Give a listen. Let's set the table to start this discussion. How big a problem is student loan debt in this country? That's a great question. Let's phrase it in this way. It's a $1.7 trillion problem. And this is at the federal level. And so it, it, it is, if you think about the entire level of say the US federal debt, which is over $20 trillion now. So you can think about almost like 10%. A trillion dollars is a lot of money. It's 12 zeros behind it. So it's a major problem. If you think about the number of students and families that have some form of student loan, right now we're looking at 44 million you know, students or at least adults, uh, including their family members. That um, So almost about one in six adults in this country have some kind of student loan. So it, it is a problem. It's also an opportunity for us, for us as, as a country to kind of figure out what do we do about it. Uh, and so, yes, it's something that we should definitely want to talk about. This is the right time to actually to talk about it. Has it been something, you talk about those huge numbers, has it been a steady growth or is it something we've seen explode the last decade? You know, how would you kind of categorize that? I think the growth kind of, picked up much faster after the last Great Recession, if you want to call it that, after 2008. And a couple of factors came into play. First, we had more people actually going to college during that period, because again, you know, uh, that part of our labor force started to change much more drastically, where some of the skill set that, you know, that could get you a quote-unquote middle-class wage started to evaporate. And so more and more you know, younger people started to say, maybe college is really the best option for me right now, given that there's really nothing else that can give me a much more, you know, quicker path to middle class. So that's one dimension of it. Right? We had more people in colleges than we had, say, in the previous, say, decade or so. I'm talking about relative to 2008. Then the other part of it that, that I think is public knowledge that many states and local governments actually cut back on investing in colleges and you know, all those kind of grants that you get at the state level, all the kind of funding that universities got at the state level also kind of went away. And so those two factors, you know, really led to a significant spike in the volume of, you know, student loan that we had, say, pre-2008 versus, say, post-2008. A couple of other factors came into play before then, um, mostly because the U.S. government became even more significantly involved in the student loan um, market than they were prior to 2010. So a host of different factors drove that growth. And, um, and you know, so we're at that point where the, the growth is not going to slow because, interestingly, the millennials and the generations that are coming behind them are actually a much bigger pool than those in front of them. So if you think about it in the context of, you know, if something doesn't get done right now, that number is not going to change. It's going to just keep growing. And uh, it's now the second largest debt, uh, bigger than credit cards, bigger than auto loans. And so you can imagine at some point you might overtake mortgages as the, the largest debt. And most students actually have student loans that 
<laughs> the size of a mortgage, literally. So if you, if for those of that own homes, if you look about how much of a financial burden it is to have a mortgage, now imagine carrying two of those kind of burden for a long period of time. It, it's it could be it could be very overwhelming for many people. There has been a lot of discussion, specifically, I thought, in the run-up to the presidential election, and really since Joe Biden was elected and took office, about the idea of, of canceling some student loan debt in some form, in some capacity. Uh, my question to you on this front is twofold to start. Is this realistic? And number two, is it a good idea, in your opinion? Well, let's think about it from, just look at it from a pure operational point of view, right? The bulk of student loan debt is held by the U.S. government. U.S. government actually owns that loan. Not all of them, the bulk of them. Some of them are actually made by institutions that the students attended, and the student U.S. government backs those loans. So not every single debt that's out there is owned by the U.S. government. So the U.S. government does have a significant ownership stake in the portfolio of student loans that's out there. And so if you put yourself in the position of, say, someone that better, you technically can, quote-unquote, Cancel with that, right? I can say, I forgive you if I want to, right? Now, the question that calls up is the mechanism by which that can be done because U.S. government is just not one person. It's a collective, you know, it's a collective decision made by a group of, you know, people and their representatives in, in Congress. Now, I'm, I'm not really a politics person per se because I'm mostly at the policy level part of it. But my understanding is at least some kind of relief can be done. Now, the framework on which that relief can be will be done, will be implemented, is obviously more of a political debate than, say, policy debate to some extent. So, yes, theoretically, it can be done. The question is, what are the politics of it and how that politics, you know, affects the, the, the direction by which the government, at least where, you know, the current administration, along with Congress, will decide to pursue that. Some of that you've already seen because they've extended the margin on payment of the loans, right? And so... Even if you say, fine, I'm not going to write off the, the debt, right? I'm, I'm not going to forgive the debt, I can say, well, I'm going to suspend payment, right, for an, another, extended, another 10 years or so, whatever it is, right? So theoretically, even without an act of Congress, the president can still say, I'm going to theoretically suspend payment for an extended period of time, so, so, to some extent. And so that is essentially, technically saying, sometimes I say, for the most part, I forgive you the debt, right? But again, from those of us that have looked at this, and I'm sure everyone, once you've provided some kind of public benefit, it's often very hard to we retract those benefits. And so we've kind of provided extension in payment, right? Essentially in the margin of making those payments. It's, it's gonna go over a year by September of this year when I think the second margin is ending. If the economic situation has not dramatically improved, I don't see how they can say, we're not gonna extend for another year again. So the ball is rolling. The question is how much would it pick up on the way towards some kind of major policy implication, uh, policy uh, position at the end of the year? Uh, it's most likely it would be, it will be done to the extent of how much that will be done. It really depends on how much, you know, politics can be pushed in that direction. Let's put it down. But something will be done, at least. To, to that point, you kind of talked about this at the beginning of your answer. What, a may, let's, let's assume there is a decision that we're going to, do something. There's a major, there's a policy decision. Does this look like where on Monday you look up on the internet, your student loan payment and it's 15,000, they make the change on Tuesday at 7,500. Would it be some sort of tax credit? Would it be, you get a check for to that, you know, you put towards it. How do you, what would be the likely ways this would work? Well, there are a couple of ways the U.S. government can 
try to address this right. Obviously, one would just that say, look, we you know the let's think about in two ways, right? What the president can do and what the current president can do along with the Congress, right? The, along with the Congress, they can literally just say, well, we're passing a one line, say all loans are all federal loans, by the way, are you know, have been, you know, for the most part you know, wiped off. And so that would just be it may take some couple of days for them to implement that, but yes, technically you can just you can log in the next day after that and you can see that yeah, you get a letter in the mail that says your debt is forgiven, and that's it, right? Probably that's just not realistic to expect. And that's because the, the the range of indebtedness, to put it for lack of a better word, varies across the spectrum, right? There's some that owe a couple of thousand to those that own that owe two hundred thousand dollars, right? Some larger ones that went to medical school, right? And obviously the the the, the debate you see them among policymakers would be equity and fairness, right? And more and the other part would be, well, does it resolve, does it, does it, does it improve overall social welfare, right? Because there's one part of it that has to do with fairness and equity, another part of it, well, is it really a good policy in terms of like does it make things better for us as a core? And that's one of the debates you see probably today with respect to this tax, the refund check, right? It's $1,400. So it's like, no, should we give it to people that make $300,000? Should we give it, you know, should we give it to people that don't? So that debate would definitely prop up and that would kind of put some kind of restrictions into how much ex, you know, benefit and how the US government will go about implementing that. My sense is that, again, I can't really, I don't really know what's going on in the hands of the politicians and policymakers to say, but my thought was that it will be something that is a hybrid where the, the emphasis will be on, you know, on, equity and fairness, as well as demonstrable impact on social welfare. I think those two things makes the politics of it much more easier. So if you can say, well, this policy is not just benefiting those that are highly educated that are already making a lot of money, but you can say, well, the biggest impact of it would be those that are struggling. And more importantly, if those people that are struggling can then take this relief and turn it into something more productive that benefits the entire society, then you have a very solid ground to, to make those kind of policies. So somewhere between some reduction, maybe income-based repayment plan to some dollar amount in forgiveness, I don't think they would forgive every single dollar amount, but clearly something will be given in some way. Now let's look at this purely through the, the lens of the economy. If let's assume something is done, whether it's $10,000 for every whatever, how this would be something we talk about multiple stimulus plans we've had the last year since the pandemic started this in itself am i crazy this would be some sort of a stimulus plan or at least an angle of a stimulus plan if you wanted to look at it just from an economic standpoint it would be a massive stimulus for the economy if you look at it in context again this is where we actually the the economists come into to look at stuff because we're now talking about numbers and numbers makes things a little bit more easier for me to to speak about if you take the average again average is like the center of it it's not representative of everyone some people have much less than that some people have way larger than that so if you have it that's sort of around thirty thousand dollars right if you look at the average interest rate that's probably about say it goes again the range is about three percent to about say seven percent for that credit. But let's just take like say five as the number, right? So five percent on thirty thousand dollars is roughly about say you know fifteen hundred dollars of interest payment. Not the principal, just the interest part of it on a yearly basis. Now those debts are usually once you graduate, you, the the term is usually about ten years. So 
we might be looking at roughly about $200 or so of monthly payment, something like that range. So it's probably what we're looking at on average for, for the person, someone on the lower end of it, like on the average. So if you say we're going to shave off, say, I don't know, $10,000, right? That could reduce the financial burden on someone by roughly amount of between $200 to $300 a month in payment. And so for that person, that is like putting money in that person's pocket. And so that is $200 or $300 they can spend, which we know that has a multiplier effect that can create other, you know, if they spend it on something, that's assuming they have it. Because sometimes a lot of people don't have jobs to be able to afford even making those payments back. But for those that can even afford to make those payments back, that is money they can spend to do other things that can create more jobs. And at the long term, would further improve tax base for the U.S. government. So it would be a massive stimulus. The other part you might also think about is the impact on other aspects of the economy, right? If you look at the a lot of the metrics that kind of, you know, if you look at the metrics, say, of financial well-being across different age groups, right? The biggest impact of this student loan crisis, if you want to call it that, it's, it's how that is affecting a lot of the financial metrics that people in that age group are having compared to their parents who are in their 50s and 60s now. If you look at the home ownership rate, it's significantly lower among the 20 to the 30 something. They used to be like 30, 40% of the market, they've fallen way below that. If you look at, you know, contribution towards say 401k or 403bs, it's significantly lower among that group as well. If you look at even the, you know, the average age to start a family, it's much higher in that group than their parents. If you look at, you know, if you look at across the spectrum, all of those indicators of financial health, or financial well-being and the long run well-being as well. I think again, arguably you can say that the student loan is a detrimental factor in terms of like those generations from achieving their full potential. And the society would, you know, the cost is currently being borne by the society, but also going to be borne by future society as well. Uh, and so one way to look at it is to see this as an investment. And sometimes investment requires you to take you know, make some expenses, right? It, it, that's what the investment is. You have to take, you know, take a heat right now so that in the long term, you might get the reward for it. And I think we see that clearly in their parents' generation because the, the government made significant investment in the entry of the GIB and every other kind of societal benefit that they got and kind of gave them a, a pretty good middle class in um, um, life. And I'm not sure the same generation is getting that right now. So now let's talk looking forward. College is still very expensive. You know, people that are 14, 15, 16 are still going to have to take loans out. How do we, I don't want to say fix, but how do we address this going forward so that we don't, whatever happens here, we don't have, you know, the day after whatever kind of student loan relief is passed, we have another group of people that are just taking out $75,000 loans to do what the generation before them did. And I don't say that like they're doing anything wrong. I just, how do we start to address this where college becomes more affordable, where these types of loans aren't necessary and we don't find ourselves with one point, a pile of $1.7 trillion of student loan debt? And that's a very great question. But I think let's step back a little bit and think about it. Now, education, right, is a service, right? And service requires you to hire people, including people like myself, right? Those are the biggest costs that university face. But that's the same cost that K-12 also faces as well, right? 
we have professors in colleges, we have teachers in K-12. They're both doing exactly the same thing, just to a different group of people, right? Now think of the way we fund K-12, right? It doesn't matter whether you have a kid in the local high school or local elementary school, part of your property tax goes into funding that institution. And so, and, and the, the, the societal argument is that look, if we're educated, population overall benefits every single person, right? And I think a little bit of that is something that we might need to go back and revisit in the, you know, in college as well. Clearly, the cost of attending college is beyond what average American family can afford. As a matter of fact, median, you know, median, the median income in this country is about $65,000. That's for a two-person working, you know, husband and wife, as we need, right? And if you think about the average tuition, uh, college tuition is around two hundred thirty thousand dollars It's not practical to expect a family that makes that kind of money to be able to afford college because just they can't do it. Just the numbers, there's no math that can add it up to make it to make it work. But if we collectively look at how can we solve this problem as a society, I think it may be it'll be easier to do that. Now, again, I don't know what kind of spectrum from where for those that argue that it should be completely free. So this is it shouldn't be free at all. That you should know if you can afford it, only go to college. I think somewhere in the middle is probably the best position to be, because obviously it's you know it's it's almost like every other social contract. It requires both sides to commit to doing something, right? If you just say what's well, going to be totally free, it might again. What does the other side have? What is their own part of the bargain, right? And if you say well, it should be totally on you then we're saying that there's no social commitment or we don't have a societal commitment to education. So somewhere in those two is really where we need to go back in. And that was almost a little bit of that was, was the case was before in say prior to 2008. But in the, you know, after the, uh, the financial crisis and a lot of states you know, having significant budget shortfalls figured that maybe that was one area they could easily you know, make adjust and never went back. And so I think a little bit of that has to be the case. And and I think the federal government also probably has to do a little bit of that, you know, because if you think about how, you know, I mean, there are some things that the U.S. government is already doing along that line, right? For example, there's this public service debt forgiveness program where if you if you go to college, you know, if you go work for a nonprofit for ten and you make a payment for ten years, your technically your you know the, your debt is is for the rest of it is forgiven, right? Maybe that's something that we should consider across the board, right? That nobody should if they make a payment for ten years, no one should still be. If you graduate at 22, it's a little bit hard to understand why you're still paying for college 20 years later on. It's it's uh, it's hard to to wrap your mind around. But people are doing that. And as a matter of fact, a lot of people in their 50s and 60s, a big chunk of their debt is actually student loan, not for themselves, but the ones they have to take for their children. And so it, it's 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 a it's a big burden across the spectrum. So somewhere between to live free, which I don't know we can afford. I'm not sure the math, I've not looked at that, but it could be possible. But to say, you know, between totally free and say on your own pay for you, if you can afford too bad, I think somewhere within that middle is a sweet spot for us as a society. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.